Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Thursday, July 15th. On today's show, an epic game four of the NBA Finals between Bucks and Suns, where the best adjustment is simply playing better. Before we get there, I will give you one reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah. I'll admit, I have a weird fascination in present day on betting Cameron Payne, the backup point guard of the Phoenix Suns, and his points, rebounds, and assist total. Last night, it's set at 11.5, the line is, and I go in and I bet the under. You'll remember a couple games ago, I bet his over points at 7.5. He scored two points. I wasn't super pleased about it, so last night I made a hill turn. I said, campaign, you're not getting to 11.5 points, rebounds, and assists. And I chose a scary game to make this bet because Devin Booker gets into foul trouble, which in turn means campaign. His minutes are bumped up from normal game. He's playing 10 to 12. Last night he plays 17. I have to sweat it out. There's a moment in the fourth quarter. He has a layup to hit the number. Um, he's on 10 combined points, rebounds, assists. Bobby Portis, who everybody in the Bucks crowd loves chanting, Bobby, Bobby. He comes in and he stuffs him. And so I'm doing the same thing at home. It was a great moment. Immediately they send campaign to the bench. He's gone for the rest of the game. My bet is cashed. I'm happy. Uh, the world is at peace. And we have our reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah because it can make you chant, Bobby, Bobby, alongside your television. And now a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. What a basketball game last night we were able to watch, my friends. Uh, We've been waiting throughout this series. The first three three games were blowouts. We've been waiting for one of those traditional NBA Finals games that features a fourth quarter with just the pressure ratcheted up to a 15 out of 10. Uh, and last night, that's the game. Bucks end up winning. They beat the Suns by 6, 109, 103. Uh, they outscore Phoenix by 12 in the fourth quarter in, a, again, a really just pressure-packed, knee-knocking fourth. Um, and, and the game had everything. You had stars balling out. You had Giannis doing his thing, Devin Booker, Chris Middleton. You had stars playing atrociously. Uh, Chris Paul, Drew Holiday. You had refereeing that made absolutely no sense. There were about 15 different times in the fourth quarter where I watched a play live and went, I think that's the wrong call, and it would go to replay, and I went, yeah, that's probably the wrong call. We had Mike Breen screaming bang over and over. I mean, just all the stuff that you want in an NBA Finals game. Um, And again, for the first time in this series, you had a fourth quarter that demanded uh, crunch time execution from both sides. So as a man with no dog in this fight, I absolutely love it because I can enjoy this high-level basketball and really the high-level intensity without the emotional swings that come alongside uh, being a fan of one of those two teams. And even with that, not having a dog in the fight, the best gauge of a game's intensity is always my sleep after the game. Uh, not a lot of people know this, but yes, the, the best gauge of a game's intensity is the sleep pattern of Chris Rall following a, a night NBA playoff game. And last night it finishes up by 10 p.m. my time, you know, and I still can't go to sleep because I'm sitting there and 
I got the adrenaline rush that comes from watching the last six minutes of that game, and I'm thinking about the big plays and the Giannis block and Middleton's jumpers and all that kind of stuff. So it checks all the boxes um, of an NBA Finals game that we're going to remember uh, as a game that really shaped kind of the outcome of this series. So now we're tied at twos, going back to Phoenix for game five. Um, And I want to start the discussion and analysis of this particular game with a quote that comes from John Hollinger of The Athletic that was actually written prior to game four, but really ties nicely into the way things played out. For all the talk of different things the Bucks could do after the first two games, the play better adjustment for Middleton and Holiday was always the elephant in the room. And similarly, Monty Williams' offensive answers for Phoenix will look a lot more brilliant if the Suns can get Booker cooking. End quote. So a very simple concept, you know, your best adjustment, it's just to play better. Which, as much as I can get lost in the weeds of all of the really nuanced, maybe X's and O's stuff and minor tweaks that can happen on and off the floor, stuff that I do think is really interesting and pertinent and sometimes can separate a win and a loss in a series, sometimes it's just as simple as you need to go out and execute better as an individual player. We're putting you in the positions that you want to be in and you haven't played as well as we know that you can play. It's mentioned during the broadcast from, I believe, Mike Breen where he talks to Giannis and P.J. Tucker after game three and goes, you know, what were the, the big adjustments? What, what did you guys do differently to get back in the series and win this game? And both of them just said, honestly, you know, we didn't change a lot. We were just better, especially on defense. You know, the best adjustment there, we didn't have to make a lot of tweaks. We just needed to bring more effort and intensity and do the things that we know that we are all capable of doing. So there are two players that really came to symbolize this really simple idea within game four, Devin Booker and Chris Middleton, two people mentioned again, prior to game or game four within this John Hollinger piece. So we'll start with Devin Booker on the losing side. You know, one of those chalk it up to the lost performances of the playoffs category because he was spectacular last night and he comes alive in a very big way. His first half, you know what you're getting with Devin Booker. I always say that. And last night, 20 points, eight for 15 from the field, aggressive, hitting tough shot shot after tough shot. Um, He doubles his scoring output from game three in the first half of game four. Game three, 10 points, three for 14 from the field, total clunker. Uh, And then the first half of game four, he's doing the opposite. Uh, For the game, he's even better. 42 points, 17 for 28 from the field. And for those that watched the game, you got the full Devin Booker experience, which is just this offensive arsenal from anywhere on the court. Uh, That's really, it's very unique. And there are not a lot of NBA players that can match just the diversity in his offensive game. Um, That's actually a, a quote coming from Jeff Van Gundy at one point as he's ranting and raving about just the ways that Devin Booker is getting his buckets you know, he says that just he has such diversity in his offensive game. Like it's jaw dropping, right? You have the pull up jumpers, which they're not easy shots. Uh, they're continually with a defender underfoot. It seemed like there were almost no shots that Devin Booker took last night out of his 28 field goal attempts that were just simple, straightforward. Oh, you got to the rim and it was an easy layup or, oh, you came off a screen and you were wide open. 
Uh, he's has a bevy of left-hand finishes, off-kilter, little floaters, back-to-back in the first half that he hits. These strange left-handed floaters, um, just these tough fadeaways. There's a sequence near the end of the first half. He hits this incredibly tough fadeaway off of a screen over Drew Holiday, whose defense in this series is just outstanding. And then right near the end of the first half, he catches the ball running straight to the corner. This fadeaway falling almost out of bounds. Swish. Um, he starts the third quarter. This off-kilter left hand, left foot. Lopez is lunging at him. One of the great rim protectors in the league. And he floats it right over his head, gently and off the glass. I mean, there were a handful of possessions within that first and second half from Booker where I would watch the play and go, you can't actually play better defense than that you know many times drew holiday would he step for step he doesn't buy it on the fake he's there for 10 seconds just going through every single move that booker is trying to uh, get to the spot on the floor with and then after the 10 seconds booker just goes all right i'm gonna rise and fire and it's gonna go in and you're gonna sit there shaking your head you know his third quarter um he scores 18 points on perfect shooting from the field seven for seven and there's always the saying that goes around within basketball. You know, the very best offense, it's always going to trump the very best defense. And if you're ever wondering about the validity of that statement, you just need to watch the shots he's making in that quarter. Because there were multiple possessions where I said, uh, I just feel bad for, a lot of it was Drew Holiday, uh, but sometimes it was other people who'd get switched onto him and they were playing picture perfect defense. If you're teaching a defensive clinic, you would go and say, hey, Look at what Drew Holiday's doing on this possession. That is exactly what you should do on every single defensive possession, and you will be one of the very best defenders in the entire world if you do that. And it just didn't matter to what Devin Booker was trying to do uh, within that game. So he finishes with 42 points. The only thing that really limits Booker at all is just foul trouble. He commits some strange fouls. He commits some dumb fouls. He commits what should have been his sixth foul with about three and a half minutes to go on uh, a Middleton play, and the refs just decide not to call it, despite the fact that Devin Booker was literally trying to foul him on purpose. Um, But it was the simplest adjustment on the Phoenix side of the ball. You know, like Hollinger speaks about, Monty Williams, there's, yeah, I'm sure there's simple tweaks and stuff that you can do on the offensive side to maybe free up your players a little bit more, get other people involved. But ultimately, especially the further a series goes, you get into game four and five and six and seven, the adjustments become less prominent. And it becomes simply about what is our adjustment? Devin Booker, you are one of our two stars. You have to play better. So last night they get that. Uh, And unfortunately on the Phoenix side, they didn't get enough around him to win the basketball game. So we go to the other side of the court, the Milwaukee Bucks. And the number one player on that side that symbolizes this simple idea. you got to play better. Chris Middleton. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start his segment with a quote from Kevin Arnovitz of ESPN and the importance of Chris Middleton in the half-court offense for Milwaukee. But however much the Bucks might cover ground defensively or protect the rim or get a spirited lift from a P.J. Tucker, a Bobby Portis, or a Pat Connaughton, the margin of success for the Bucks in recent seasons has often been Middleton. The Bucks have a two-time MVP in Antetokounmpo, but in a tractor pull like the one that took place at Pfizer Forum in Game 4, 
Middleton's shot making in the half court is essential to the Bucks' formula and identity. End quote. This is one of the big questions that you always see pushed around with Milwaukee. That in the crucible of the playoffs, in these half-court offensive sets, sometimes the Milwaukee offense can be just a bog. It can be a dumpster fire. We saw it really, really come to light in the Brooklyn series and put them on the edge of defeat. They ended up pulling that series out. But they go through stretches, especially in these crunch time possessions of the fourth, where their offense can look just abysmal. And it was not that last night because... Chris Middleton made the simple adjustment of, I need to play better. And I know that I'm capable of doing that. And so last night, uh, Chris Middleton, he put forth his very best effort. 40 points, six rebounds, four assists, two steals. Not his best shooting night, 15 for 33 from the field, but just big, big buckets. And Milwaukee is always searching for answers in the half court on offense. Again, that's part of their formula and their identity. They're not going to just burn you up on that side of the ball, especially within these style of possessions. The fourth quarter gets tight, and a lot of times the Bucks' identity is we will rely upon our defense because we know it's one of the best in the NBA, and we can grind it out on that side of the ball. And if we get enough on the offensive side in the half court, then we trust that we can win this basketball game. So last night, that is the formula uh, for the Bucks to win. They don't necessarily play a fantastic game of basketball overall. As a team, they shoot 40% from the field. As a team, they shoot 24% from three. But the combination of those things, Middleton in the half court and this defensive identity they forged, it's enough to boost them to victory. Uh, In the way that Chris Middleton goes about getting his numbers, you'll never find a starker contrast between what he was doing on one side and what Devin Booker was doing on the other side. Two players who got to 40 points. Booker does it in a way that will make any person's jaw drop. Again, this expansive arsenal on the offensive side. All three level score. Incredible shot maker. Chris Middleton is a lot different in the ways that he goes about getting his buckets. It's methodical. There's a lot less flash. Uh, But at the end of the day, you trust in his ability to get those things. And indeed, in this game, 40 points. All right. You negated what Booker did on the opposite side of the floor. The two biggest shots of the game, they're Chris Middleton in the half court. Uh, A pull-up with two minutes to go to tie the game. And another pull-up with a minute 30 to go to take the lead by two. Uh, This is a stretch for Middleton where he goes on a personal 8-0 run that turns a 99-97 deficit into a 105-99 lead with under 20 seconds to go. Like when the game is decided... On the offensive side of the ball, Chris Middleton is the one who decides the game in Milwaukee's favor. He's not perfect. He's not a perfect player. He's not super consistent. He's not a superstar. He's not any of the things that a lot of people will always say. Milwaukee, you have to have this to win in the half court. Um, But we've seen from Middleton this year, despite some of the inconsistencies, despite his star power, it's not going to shine as brightly as Giannis. Um, he's turned in some of his biggest performances in the biggest possible games for Milwaukee in these playoffs. Uh, To illustrate that, I just want to read some of his stats. This is taken from a tweet from StatMuse, and these are the biggest possible playoff games this year for Milwaukee. Game 6 against Brooklyn, Chris Middleton, 38 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists. Game 7 against Brooklyn, 23 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. Game 5 versus Atlanta, 2-2 series, Giannis out with injury. 
26 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists. Game 6 against Atlanta. Again, Giannis out with the injury. Chance to close him out. 32 points, 4 rebounds, 7 assists. And last night, Milwaukee down 2-1. Has to win this game. 40 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists. End quote. So you start to see... uh, A player who is not perfect, but a player who has performed about as good as you could possibly expect in the very biggest games in a way that Milwaukee needs. Uh, And that is something that really deserves commendation on that side of the ball. And if you're Milwaukee and you're going, all right, sometimes the adjustment is this simple. Hey, Chris Middleton, maybe you haven't played as great in games one and two as we know you can. Games three and four, that's got to be better. That's what Milwaukee has gotten. So I want to talk about a specific point in the game and part of my favorite part of the playoffs, the simple question of how do you respond to adversity as a team? I mentioned that the Bucs don't play great. 40% from the field, just kind of a slog for the most part on that side of the ball for them. Uh, and there's a moment at the very start of the fourth quarter. Cam Johnson comes in. He hits a three for Phoenix on the first possession of the fourth. Bucks are down by nine points. This is one of those precipice moments. Uh, and if you're the Bucks, it's one of the pivotal swing moments that you're going to get within a series. You're down 2-1. You have game four at home. You're down nine in the fourth quarter. How are you going to respond to that? I always talk about the importance of these baptism by fire moments that have happened in prior years, and Milwaukee has them because they went through these notable playoff failures, and I think the more that those pile up, you go one of two ways. Either you succumb under the weight of them or you learn from them, and it, make, it makes you hardened and you are better able to cope with the pressure of a moment like this and understand what you need to do in the moment to pull out a victory. Um, And this is what we see from Milwaukee down the stretch of this game. You know, the last 11 and a half minutes, they just find a way. On the very next possession after the Johnson three, Pat Connaughton hits a three, deficit's now six, and it turns into just this tug of war. Uh, Sometimes not pretty, but you got bodies flying on the ground. You got people scrambling for loose balls, smacking people on the face. Who knows what the refs are going to call? But it's the high-intensity playoff moments that the more you've been in, the better prepared you are for them. Uh, and so this stuff is happening, going down the stretch. And there's a moment within this game that is just, it's one that you won't forget uh, because this is what like you watch NBA Finals 4. This is why you want the very best players in this situation. Um, Middleton has just hit a jumper. The Bucks are up two. There's a little over a minute to go in the game. Um, and those of you who watch, you know what I'm talking about. The Giannis Antetokounmpo block. Which is on the very short list of just memorable plays in the recent past in the NBA Finals. As soon as you start getting compared to the LeBron James 2016 Finals block, uh, my favorite moment in the history of the NBA, the one that you can see if you're watching on video behind me, um, you know that you're in rarefied air. Uh, Giannis is guarding the picker and the roller. or uh, Sorry, the ball handler and the roller, I mean. Uh, Devin Booker, he comes through. He's got the ball in his hands. Giannis is half guarding him and half guarding Aiton behind him. If you watch this play in slow motion, uh, there are a lot of clips being tweeted about it. It's astounding to watch Giannis do what he does, which is essentially corral Booker into not wanting to take a shot at the free throw line. Now he's floating up the perfect lob to Aiton, who's jumping up to try and dunk it. And Giannis, because he is a freak, uh, 
has already done that, is now turning his back and bounding up into the air and just stuffing DeAndre Ayton at the rim. Um, It's one of those plays that when you watch, and especially when you watch this play in slow motion, you truly understand that as much as you want to say all of these players, they're all incredible athletes and they're all just separated by just tiny things. A lot of stuff that I do believe and a lot of stuff that I say within this show time and again, you watch a play like that and you go, oh, that's the separator between somebody like Giannis and the rest of the NBA. That's the separator between somebody like LeBron James and the rest of the NBA. There's a very small handful of players within professional sports that are just capable of doing things that literally nobody else is doing because of a combination of physicality, speed, and and basketball IQ. Uh, And this Giannis block, which again, just an all-time moment, it's that. It's one of those things. Uh, And and this ties into just another performance from Giannis. I mean, I'm running out of things to say about him because I'm getting to the point where I just go, we're getting a star performance every single night from Giannis. We're just getting that. Last night, it's another one. 26 points, 14 rebounds, 8 assists, 3 steals, 2 blocks, 11 for 19 from the field. Until shown otherwise, I'm just assuming we are getting that in every single game. Um, Giannis, it's truly his his coming out party on the national stage. Basketball fans who follow this stuff, they know Giannis. They know he's got the free throw flaw. But other than that, I mean, you are getting just freakish athleticism and basketball ability in every other facet. And I think now people are just starting to grasp that because through four games, Giannis has brought that in every single game. Um, So we'll go to the close. We'll go back to actually the start of this episode and and the theme, in my opinion, of this game and now of the series moving forward. The best adjustment, it's going to be that you need to play better. Uh, Both of these teams, they're going to look at the top of their roster And they're going to single out people after last night. And they're going to say, you know what? We can make X's and O's tweaks and this kind of stuff. But the best adjustment that we can make in game five is you have to be better. So on the Phoenix side, it's Chris Paul. Chris Paul, who has been Phoenix's best player through the first three games of this series. Uh, Last night, he was far from that. Ten points. Five turnovers. Five for 13 from the field. Uh, a turnover on the biggest possession of the game for Phoenix. They have the ball down two with 30 seconds to go. Paul runs through a screen. He tries to cut to the middle. He loses control of the ball. Milwaukee grabs it. They're running down the other way. Middleton scores, puts him up four. Uh, and that was essentially the ball game. You're Phoenix, and you're going back home with a chance to take a 3-2 series lead. You say, our adjustment is Chris Paul. We know you're an awesome basketball player, and we trust that game four, that was fluky. Um, Game five, we need better from you. On the other side of the ball, it's Milwaukee looking at Drew Holiday and saying, there's a very simple adjustment that we can make. Uh, You need to be better on the offensive side of the ball. I actually can't remember. I'm sure this has existed, but and this is maybe me being a creature of the moment. I can't remember a starker contrast between how much I trust a player on one side of the ball and how much I do not on the other side of the ball than Drew Holiday currently. Because his defense is spectacular. I mean, A++++ to the maximum degree. I honestly can't get over how good he is playing on the defensive side of the ball and how much he is making 
Booker and Paul work for what they want to do. The flip side is his offense. I don't know if there's anybody on the floor in these NBA finals that I trust less when the ball is in their hands and they need to make a shot than Drew Holiday currently. Uh, There were certain plays within last night where I was scratching my head and saying, that's what I used to do in City League basketball. I've never seen an NBA athlete do this. There's one play where he grabs an offensive rebound, and instead of just coming down and laying it up, he catches it and like pulls it down to his chest and flicks it up and completely misses the shot, and nobody really knew what was going on. This is what we've been seeing from Drew Holiday, who played nicely in Game 3, 8 for 14 from the field, but the other three games of this series... 4 for 14, 7 for 21, and 4 for 20 last night. Um, If Milwaukee is to win this series, you have to reason that it's going to be really hard to keep overcoming shooting nights like this from Holiday. 4 for 14, 7 for 21, 4 for 20. I mean, that's a big chunk of your offense that is just completely absent. So Milwaukee, going into game five, they say, hey, we just won the last two games. All day, you were great offensively in game three, but game four, oof. Uh, we don't need you to be a superstar, but we need you to not shoot 10%, 15%, 20% from the field. Uh, if you give us that, we trust in the rest of our team and the rest of our abilities to win the series. So now we set up game five on Saturday night. Uh, Suns minus four. And I think we are set up for a classic game. I hope that my instincts are correct because this series has been slowly tightening the screws and getting to a place where last night was possible. And I think last night and the intensity of that game, it speaks to something bigger and better in game five. 2-2 series, small spread, two teams, one that has never won a title, one that has not won one since 1973. Uh, The pressure is going to be immense. And I think we're set up for a classic. Uh, And if we are, you know, I'm going to be back on this show. I'm going to talk about how my sleep schedule was altered by this classic game. uh, And then we're going to all go from there. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This show is produced by Weston Tanner and can be consumed in a variety of ways. You can download it as a podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or the platform of your choice. You can also view it in video form via the Beehive TV app, which can be downloaded on Apple, Google, Roku, and Amazon Fire. For more information, go to noballer.com. 